Hey everybody, sorry I'm late. I was the best wrestler, underground wrestler in all of New York City. And in fact, I was so good that I was promising cold hard cash if anybody could last three minutes in the ring with me. And I was ready for everyone. Everyone knows I'm always ready. But some punk in pajamas came in and stuck to the walls and uh, beat me up and uh, really embarrassed me. Some freak show. Some freak show. You're listening to This Film Is Not Yet Created, the podcast where we make our own version of movie sequels that never got made. I'm Chris Rivas, and with me as always is my co-host, Mr. Steve Grande. Hi, sorry I'm late, but uh, myself and a bunch of other convicts were on this plane, and we took it over, <laughs> and we landed it on the Las Vegas Strip, baby. I'm going to see my girl and my daughter real soon. <laughs> You should also get a haircut when you get a chance. Uh, our guest this week is a very funny comedian. He's an actor. And before the quarantine and pandemic, he was a teaching artist at regional theaters, including the Goodman Theater in Chicago. And on a personal level, uh, Steve and I got to tour with him doing comedy around the country for a couple of years. And, uh, we just miss those times. Come come back to us, regular world. Um, <laughs> please welcome Mr. Paul Whitehouse. Thank you, thank you. Sorry I'm late. Uh, I was uh, driving out to uh, Los Angeles to accept a position as a plastic surgeon, but I hit a, f- I uh, swerved to hit a, not hit a cow, and I hit a fence, and I got 32 hours of customer service. Customer <laughs> service. Uh, you know, I had to become the town doctor, and I fell in love with the ambulance driver, Lou. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for being with us here today thanks for having me chris oh it's man it's been so long it's so nice to see you and hear you again uh, yeah man oh my goodness how's wisconsin uh wisconsin is um very conservative um and uh, and lovely uh salt okay. of the earth people and um it's not the worst place in the world to uh you know live in the end times there you it's go. pretty nice man cheese, and it's, right? it's fall right now what's it that fall. a lot of cheese oh my gosh yeah um <laughs> i put on that good wisconsin white baby <laughs> <laughs> the quarantine uh, 15 is a lot harder right. in, in uh wisconsin yeah all the cheese and beer the quarantine 30 let me tell you yeah. You know what? We've toured a lot of different states, and I would definitely say Wisconsin is high up on the list of if the apocalypse happens, of where to retreat to from the city. So, sure. <laughs> look at yeah, I, mean, I had I had fried cheese curds tonight for dinner, man. Wow, it's real. I'm All having wine. That's my dinner tonight. Um, <laughs> they were talking this week about the Shawshank Redemption. Paul, tell us a little bit about why we're watching or why we did watch the, the Shawshank Redemption. I think it's probably my, my favorite movie of all time. And I revisited every couple of years. And I got to tell you, this isn't um, the, the idea of a sequel for this movie. Isn't an original idea. It was a, uh, it was a kind of a joke between uh, two of my buddies in college. And I had a friend who would, um, would lie, would lie a lot and try to pull the wool over people's eyes. And he convinced another one, a person in our friend group that Shawshank condemnation was, was being made and, and totally had his eyes pulled over. And uh, during this quarantine, I was watching this movie and I, I couldn't stop thinking about like 
what the sequel would look like. And like, as it, as it went along, I'm like, yeah, this, this sequel needs to be made. If, if only on this podcast, this sequel needs to be made. I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah, this is definitely widely considered one of the best movies ever made, right? People talk Shawshank and Vertigo, I think are probably the top two of most people's or most of like the official, whatever lists. And, uh, easy to see why. Yeah, I mean, uh, Paul, I know that you you love this movie and you love acting. Um, you know, when I think of movies like, well, one, like when we were thinking about doing this podcast, like this was one of the movies that fell into the bracket of, you know, like a lot of the other ones that we've done are like, okay, this is, we could see a legit sequel to this, but like this falls in the category of movies that were like, this movie doesn't need a sequel. And, but it's going to be fun and hard to try to come up with an idea that <laughs> that either yeah. you know that follows uh, what what the movie is all about. It's such a just such an incredible movie that it's just hard to do that. And uh, Paul, I wanted to know, like, did this movie have any like inspiration to you? Like, I th- when I think of like personally, like we did this a couple weeks ago, but like Mrs. Doubtfire, every time I see that movie. Like I, I see Robin Williams cracking jokes. And I'm like, this is why I wanted to get into acting and performing. And like, I just wondered if that had the same effect on you watching, watching these, this high caliber acting lessons of a movie. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I remember when I first uh, moved to Chicago, when I was still like, just falls deep in the dream of like being, being an actor with a, with a capital A and watching it when I was like interning 40 hours a week and working at Starbucks at 20 hours a week <laughs> yeah. and being on multiple improv teams for theaters that have now closed and just watching this movie one day and being like, that's it. Like that's, that's the kind of work I want to make. But yeah, man, it's, um, it just, it stays with you. It's good. This movie really, really stays with you. Every level, and, um, everything about it is so tight. So perfect. I don't know. I don't have nothing else to say about it. Um, yeah, but like as we like as humans, I feel like as we go on, uh, I, I guess like a, a question that I had because um, everything like wraps up so neatly. It's like, you know, is Andy Dufresne like really going to be happy when he gets out of jail? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, because he's not like uh, like if I've learned any like um, uh, lesson recently, it's like, well, you know, like the present's all we have and you got to live in it. And you got to find your peace. Sure. And it's like. What happens when he gets done with that boat? <laughs> yeah. Well, and for me, and that's the question that I want to answer today. For me, with Andy, um, <clears throat> you know, time heals all wounds is the old saying, right? And the one mm-hmm. thing that the movie didn't really explore a lot, uh, I guess they just sort of like brush it off as saying like he's cold and sort of doesn't show a lot of emotions and that kind of thing. So we don't really see the effect that uh, of him getting over the loss of his wife, even though she cheated on him, he still loved her and he didn't murder her or intend for her to die. And we don't really get to see him deal with those emotions or any of that. And so maybe, maybe that's what would happen in a sequel or, or maybe that's why he would be happy is because now he's, he's already spent all his time dealing with that while he was in prison. Yep. And he can, move on and actually live life again. And so prison was actually his chance to deal with that. I don't know. It wasn't really explored in the movie. This is just me extrapolating. 
Um, I was just going to say, there's only enough time in two hours and 22 minutes (laughs) (laughs) to cover everything. Yeah. 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 Well, um, I would like to to like be with him when he goes on that first date. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like in Mexico, I, I want to see that. Yeah, where he, he's dating a hot a hot Mexican lady, and uh, they go out for an Italian dinner because they're in Mexico. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Steve, I think uh, you actually are tackling the immediate aftermath of what's happening uh, in that Mexican town. Is that right? Yes, I am. Uh, mine is called the Shawshank Redemption, um, and I, I will mess this up a bunch of times throughout <laughs> it. Probably, yeah. Wait, Zewantaneo uh, Knights, right? Is that the correct way to say it? Yeah, Zewantanejo. Yeah, Zewantanejo. Great. Uh-huh. Uh, so Shawshank Redemption, Zewantanejo Knights. Um, so, uh, sorry, Paul, there's nothing for you to do here, but we're going to have Chris do the stage directions that are in bold and everything else is uh, narration of red. So whenever you hear Chris talking, that's like current day, um, <clears throat> current day red. Uh, like, and then whenever you hear me, it's like a flashback to everything that happened from when he got on the beach to when he, you know, to Chris's timeline. Okay. I, I just can't wait for your Morgan Freeman. I can't either. This yeah. Is so and it, <laughs> y- y'all better buckle in. Cause it also looks like I'm Morgan Freeman, not, uh, <laughs> read in your <laughs> scripts. So it's going to be a, a long night of me doing a Morgan Freeman impression. So, uh, I'll say this before we <laughs> before we get into it. I I get to read these uh, every show. Paul, do you want to read the stage directions for this script? I I want to. I was peeking as Steve was doing this. Okay, and I would see like certain words, and I I didn't want to read it, so I want to hear it for the first time, man. No, you you. Fair I want to. I want to. Fair enough. Okay, so this is the Shawshank Redemption Zewatanejo Nights <laughs> Exterior Lighthouse night. Uh, We see an elderly red sit down in a chair 20 feet away from the ocean. The waves crash onto the shore as loud as thunder as red pours liquor into his mug. Andy was right. Never have I seen an ocean as blue as we want to know. As the breeze hit our backs, we sailed that ocean blue every morning, taking whatever treasures it would offer to us. And when I say treasures, I mean the delicious snapper that migrates this way. <laughs> there were two moments I knew when I was free. When I found Andy on that beach and when I tasted lemon-crusted snapper for the first time. The herbs and spices that entice every bite. But the secret ingredient was what it represented. What I've missed out on for 40 years. What I really wanted. I wanted to feel alive. And Andy and I were about to live it up. Red gets out of his chair and walks to the marina next to the lighthouse. He takes the rope off of the post next to the boat and sails off into the sunrise. We started as just another couple fishermen in an overcrowded fishing town. While it was rough at the beginning, we knew that we needed to find an edge to survive. I set off into town and found myself in a bar talking to a couple of port workers. Their belts loosened, along with their tongues, with every drink they took. 
They had they said that a top player <laughs> from the cartel was coming in tonight. <laughs> and Andy and I made sure to welcome him into town. The second he stepped off the boat, I sized that man up instantly. Guadalupe de Santos wasn't all he was cracked up to be. His cologne was as bold as the Armani Bra- uh, Baracco silk-printed shirt he was wearing. He was a short man who walked like he was seven feet tall. But, just like they say, the bigger they think they are, the harder I think they'll fall. <laughs> Andy saw one thing and one thing only. Opportunity. It took 15 minutes for Andy to convince him to hire us as the smugglers for their drug trade to the local ports. <laughs> we spent about three years growing the operation, and we grew fast. Within that time, we went from local pushers who were scraping for territory every chance we could get to kingpins of Zewantin and Nao. <laughs> <laughs> We owned that town. <laughs> Would you ever think that two wanted American convicts in their 60s, one who escaped prison and the other who broke his parole, would rise through the ranks and become key figures of the El Chapo cartel in such a short <laughs> amount of time? I know. I know. Start writing your scripts for Hollywood. Uh, I thought this was my this was the best my life could get. But Andy wanted more. Sadly, Andy always wanted more. More cocaine, more women, more power. But then he wanted more blood. Red Red tosses a big net over the side of the boat. Due to his old age, he struggles as he tries to attach the net to the boat. He sighs as he continues to properly connect the net. Andy stepped out onto the church balcony, declaring to all people in the town square of Zewantinineho <laughs> that, that it would emancipate itself from the cartel and would operate independently. The crowd cheered as we were paraded on the shoulders of the citizens, but DeSanto and his men weren't cheering. They attacked us at dawn as they tried to raid our villa. Little did they know, that was the decoy villa. Villa, sorry. <laughs> I love that. Um, our men surrounded them and picked them off one by one. DeSantos tried to escape on his speedboat, but he must have forgotten that he was trying to get away in our ocean. It ended with his boat in pieces on the shore while begging for his life as Andy's revolver rested against his temple. The bang th- rang throughout the Whoa. town louder than any church bell ever could. Andy looked back at me and looked me dead in the eyes. That was the first time I didn't recognize my friend. Yeah, because he's never murdered anybody. Red Red continues to struggle as he is now trying to pull the rope as the net full of fish rises from the water. He fiercely pulls the rope as he struggles to get the net over the deck of the boat. While our power and reputation spread throughout the country, I continued to see a darkness spread in Andy. He became impatient. One time a dealer was just a few hundred short. The sound of the thud that was made from Andy's ring-filled hand back smacking against that man's face still haunts me to this day. He then had the man walk through the streets 
while people tossed expired produce at him. <laughs> Most of the men turned the other way now when they see him coming down the hall. I told him that he's starting to lose control, that these drugs were diminishing, demolishing all parts of his brain that made him so good at money laundering. He yelled the words, get the fuck, get your fucking ass out of here, as he hurled a handful of cocaine at the wall behind me. I told him, you'll never beat El Chapo this way, and hung my head as I closed the door. That was the day I lost my friend. (laughs) (laughs) On his way back to shore, Red's boat hits some rough water. The waves hit hard from side to side as Red tries to get control of the boat. The majority of the caught fish get a bounce off of the side and back into the water. Once Red gets a handle on the boat, he sighs when he sees the meager amount of fish remain on the deck of his ship. Andy continued to pit rival gangs against the local militia. That was, of course, on his payroll. He was spinning his wheels until he could have his heavyweight fight, so to say. The fear from the guards translated to the streets. People would shutter their windows any times our trucks entered the city streets. El Chapo used this unrest in his favor, turning faithful members of our regime into spies who were trading our secrets for money and protection. The most, pa- uh, the most painful traitor of them all, uh, we discovered, the one that Andy let the darkness consume him, was his beloved Isabella. She was caught exchanging letters to an El Chapo lieutenant at the local nightclub. When I found out, I ran to Andy's bedroom, but it was already too late. She laid motionless on the bed while he leaned back in his chair. He chugged the rest of the tequila in the bottle before he crashed it to the ground. Laying back in his chair, his gut stretched out, protruding his black dress shirt forward over the two-sizes-too-big white suit. The cocaine trailed from his handlebar mustache all the way down to his waist. Uh, he was so immersed in the yayo that it looked like constellations <laughs> of the black shirt background. <clears throat> the looks we exchanged confirmed that he, of what he had feared most, He had suffered the folly of man and had flown too close to the sun. I held my friend for the last time as he cried a river of tears. Oh, my God. We see see Red sitting at a small table in the corner of the town market. He sadly sits there with tattered clothes from the town, uh, from the near shipwreck, as people pass by his stand. His barren stock of fish is almost as depressing as the expression. On Red's face. The only thing that was louder than the crying was the gunfire outside of the palace gates. El Chapo had a man on the inside that opened the gate and outmatched our man five to one. It was a slaughter as they stormed their way to Andy's quarters. As they were making their way there, I was trying to convince Andy to make a run for it. A moment of clarity came over him as he realized what he has to do. Uh... He opened his armory and equipped himself with an M16 and a, sl- and a sash of grenades. He looked at me and said, remember that abandoned lighthouse in Troncones? As I nodded, he grinned wildly and cocked his assault rifle as he looked and said, looks like I'll meet you there. 
we raised up our hands, they joined together with a thunderous clap, cupping the side of each other's hands (laughs) while our rippling biceps were exposed to the night sky. I had found that I had found my friend once again. Uh, I crawled out of the tunnel and stealthily set sail to Troncones. I saw Andy's room off in the distance. I hear him exposit a loud yell followed by a hail of gunfire. Then there was silence. Then the lights in the room went dark. I turned back to Ziwanu Taneo and never looked back. Red picks up his stand as he heads back home for the night. He slowly climbs the steps to the top of the tower. As he approaches the top floor, he begins to smell a different fish kind of smell. He opens the door and sees a newspaper sitting next to a plate nicely set on the table. On the plate is the, the most is the most delicious-looking lemon-crusted snapper his eyes have ever seen. Red picks up the newspaper and sees that it reads today's date, June 11, 1993. The headline reads, Mexico arrests reputed top drug king El Chapo captured in Guatemala. As he opens the paper, a note falls out. Red picks up the note, reads it, and smiles. Places the note <laughs> as we see that it reads, Andy was here. The end. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's... <laughs> That's insane. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want to I see this script, this exact script that Grande wrote, made word for word, but in claymation. The whole time I saw the claymation in my head. Yeah, I love it. Um, <laughs> I think that would be really good, claymation. Yeah. Uh-huh, oh. uh-huh. Yeah, uh, Andy really takes quite the turn. Uh he, yeah, he, he breaks bad, dude. <laughs> he breaks bad so yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah, he gives that smile at the end of the first movie as he's standing on the boat. He gives this big dumb smile. The smile of a future drug lord. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> the sky's the limit, man. Oh my god. I was not expecting this. When you first told me the title of your movie, uh, I I was thinking, seeing it as more of like a dirty dancing thing where it was mm-hmm. Red and Andy um, getting lewd with, with the locals. But um, this is like a, a Scarface. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. Is crazy. yeah no, no, this, is, <laughs> this is every trope that I've seen in gangster <laughs> movies from Scarface. To, I mean, even uh, uh, Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. And originally yeah. I was thinking that way. I was thinking like, oh, like there's going to be like, I'm trying to think of like some way where they have to like have a dance competition to keep the beach <laughs> or something. Yeah, but then I mean, as like, I was kept writing, I, I got more violent. <laughs> yeah. Starting off the way it was, I thought it was going to be, you know, like uh, fried fish and some hookers and blow. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we're, we're, uh, we're in it, man. Yeah, that was. <laughs> oh my god! You did do a great job of uh, capturing that poetic language that they they uh-huh. had a lot for a lot of those narrations. That was 
great job on that. Yeah, I was, that just, was I was just trying to think how how Morgan Freeman would uh, explain a, <laughs> a predator life. <laughs> I five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if anybody yeah. didn't get that, that's what they were doing. They were definitely doing the predator <laughs> hand clap. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Where they're just rippling biceps underneath the night sky on the beach. Oh my goodness. Um. Yeah, I would watch this. Movie. Oh man. And they could still make it. Um, they could. <laughs> it would be even funnier if they made it now. I mean, you're you're really leaving the door open with this one for you know Shawshank Redemption three Grande. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know, I know, <laughs> I know the <laughs> ultimate redemption. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. Red Red Dawn Redemption, I think. Red yeah. Dawn Redemption, yes. Um, <laughs> well, speaking of uh, open ended and opening the door for future sequels potentially and something they could make now. Uh, I'd like to take you through my version of the sequel. All right. And uh, I've written a uh, similar to you, Steve. Mine is a bit of a, um, an abridged version of the whole movie. Um, It's called the Shawshank damnation. I'll be doing all the uh, direction. Um, Steve, we'll have you do red again, unless unless Paul, you want to be red. I I'm not going to try to compete with that. <laughs> okay, then we'll have you, Paul. You're going to read for Andy and Sharp. Okay. Okay, so this is the Shawshank Damnation, uh, and this takes place immediately following, right? So, scene one is uh, early on in the movie. Maybe it's the first thing we see: exterior beach, the ending of the last movie. Andy crouches, scrubbing a boat as Red walks up. They embrace. A moment later, they're standing side by side, looking out over the ocean. It's more beautiful than I ever could imagined. That's it, Red. Yeah? That's it, Red. Up. Red turns to Andy, a quizzical look on his face. Andy does not face him. Up, Red, come on. Andy, are you okay? Andy continues to stare blankly at the ocean. Andy! Andy's eyes dart to red. His head follows soon after. Up. Cut to... (laughs) Eyes spring open. They're crystal blue and the skin around them pale white. There they are. Still laying... The man's eyes explore the room. He tries to get up, but cannot. He is being held down by straps over his waist, wrist, ankles, and forehead. A hand gently moves and settles on the man's chest. Shh, shh, shh. It's okay. You're okay. Welcome back, Red. We see now that the man lying in bed has red hair and is wearing what can only be described as white scrubs. Do you know where you are? Red, the man lying in bed, squints as he looks at the face of the man asking him questions. We see that the man's face resembles Warden Sharp. Warden? The man turns slightly and speaks over his shoulder. Still the prison. He turns back to Red. Red, my name is Dr. Sharp. You're... 
no, no, you're 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 dead. You're at the Shawshank Redemption Psychiatric Hospital. <laughs> Andy. That's a much better name. I should have just called it that. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I thought I saw the daughter. really wasn't. That's my best friend. <clears throat> All right. Oh. You were at the Hank Shaw Memorial Psychiatric Hospital. Andy. You've been in and out of a comas for six months. Andy. Red struggles against his restraints, yelling louder. Andy, where are you? Sharp looks over his shoulder and does a come in gesture, and then looks back to Red. Andy, I, I saw it. We were there. We were free. A large orderly enters the room, approaches Red, and straps a gag into his mouth. The orderly resembles Captain Hadley. As Red sees his face, he stops struggling and stares, wide-eyed at the orderly. Red, we've been here before. Red's eyes dart from the orderly to the doctor, a question in them. Every time you come out of a coma, it's the same. A dream you think you've lived, of a man who escaped prison, restored your hope, and redeemed your soul. Red's eyes drop. Tears start to well up. He swallows, looks back to the doctor, and mumbles something through the gag. The doctor gives a nod to the orderly, who removes the gag. How many times? The doctor looks down at the floor for a moment, then back to Red. Seven. Red inhales deeply as he weeps, and he closes his eyes. The doctor gives Red's chest a couple taps and looks up to the orderly. They exit the room leaving Red strapped to the bed in a padded room with an observation window. So that's the end of the first scene. And very different tone. It's a lot more, <laughs> a lot more serious. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I fuck up another line so I you can have a good laugh. Love it. I love it. Um, I think, <laughs> I think Shawshank Redemption Hospital is funnier. Um, <laughs> but um, so this next scene happens sometime later. Uh, maybe like a couple days or a week, something like that. Pretty, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's years or months down the line. Anyways, so sometime later, Red and the doctor have had several conversations and Red is starting to accept more um, what he's being told. So we're going to pick up in an office, in the warden's office, or the, uh, <laughs> excuse me, the doctor's office. Red sits in a comfortable chair in the doctor's office. There's no Andy. This is real. Okay. Say I believe you. What next? What can I get out? Or when can I get out? Oh, you don't get out. You belong to me now. The doctor smiles at the orderly he enters and drags right out of the office. You won't get away with this. I'll find a way. There's always a way. Andy found a way. End of that scene. Uh basically just setting up that this character is still a piece of shit who is like very controlling and owns all these people. Yep. Scene three, again, later on down the road, Red has been beaten, raped, forced to do labor. He's lost all hope and is now an angry shell of a man. We pick up 
in his padded room. Red sits there wearing a straitjacket. He pushes his face forward, holding, uh, holding for a moment and choking himself. Get busy living or get busy dying. He leans his head forward again, holding his breath. As his face turns red and then purple, we see the anger seep from him, fade to black, and then in again on red standing in the yard at Shawshank Prison. It's Andy's first day. <laughs> yeah, that was um, dark as fuck. <laughs> yeah, says the guy who made a, made Andy into a drug lord. <laughs> that was dark, but I, I was, um, I was the this latest watch of this movie made me re. I recognized that Andy isn't the main character. The mm-hmm. He's not the one having the redemption at Shawshank. It's Red. It's Red's yeah. story. Yeah. And so I wanted to see what would happen to Red after this. And the happy ending is that he's just living free with, with Andy on this boat. But if you really want to be an asshole to your characters, then uh, <laughs> then you, you make the sequel about the downfall. So all the hope and redemption that he gained through all through knowing Andy and everything that Andy... Uh, had an effect on him gets completely undone and destroyed in this movie so that by the end he's he's back to being a miserable son of a bitch and then uh as he like tries to kill himself he just goes back into another coma and experiences the events of the movie again over however many hours though or years though that was and then uh and that's just like the ultimate hell to live in (laughs) is whether you're awake or you're in a coma, you're what you think is real is just a miserable prison. <laughs> yeah, he's he's in a prison of his own mind. Yeah. <laughs> and like that's projecting that he's in this prison and he's lived there for 40 years and <laughs> and he's reliving every moment of it. Like that's fucking nuts. Did you did you guys look up is the original source material for the film Stephen King? It is Stephen King. Yeah. Okay. It yeah. This, this is very Stephen King. This is very. Uh, have you guys ever uh, seen or read Misery? Uh, I've not, but mm-hmm. uh, thank you. I've, I was trying I'm, to capture that Stephen King energy on it. I've, I've heard. King, yeah. I've heard what the big scene in that movie is, but outside of that, I don't know anything about Misery. I I uh, I don't know. If, I don't think I've seen the movie. I saw a stage production of it, like Christ, fifteen or twenty years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. But, oh boy, this one was dark, but good, Chris. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, dude. Um, <laughs> it made you know, it made it, it made it also like feel like a little uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, initial, like, oh, go on. Well, just my initial thought was that I wanted to have him wake up and be like, "Oh, it was all a dream," and go that like soap opera out route with it. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. and then I thought it would be more. Stephen Kingish to go one flew over the cuckoo's nest and make him an insane asylum uh, inmate. Hell yeah! I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's a lot better than you know, <laughs> in the mind of a boy holding a snow globe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I, was, I was telling, uh, I was telling you guys in the you know before we were talking before we turned on the mics that I was 
listening to old episodes today. And I listened to the episode with Sam. And uh, as I was listening to it, I was like, what if Chris is going to do a porno for this one, too? <laughs> you didn't, <Ben. laughs> You didn't, bud. <laughs> they don't all turn out like pornos, just half of them. That was my first trick in the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks for letting me stretch that muscle. And, and I mean, yeah, so many of these are goofy porno rips and whatever else. Uh, yeah, I wanted to do something a little bit more uh, dark, I guess. Yeah, dude. Just um, so thanks for thanks for reading through that and, and uh, being my guinea pigs on it. Yeah, I was oh, no, I was trying to. What did you say? The both they both were really good. But what were you gonna say, Steve? Oh, uh, just that. Like I was trying that way, you know, to to write it more of the dramatic tone of what the movie was. Um, but Chris, I think that you you captured its tone and maybe you know took it even a little darker. Um, but yeah, like movie was fun. Yeah, like one guy out just to murder him. You you know what else makes it seem uh, darker? is that it's kind of a period piece and like yeah. to look back at, you know, how the prison was then and like how I envision prison now, like, man, there, there must've been a lot of shit that they had to go through because of how <laughs> like un- unkept, uh, an old prison like that could be, especially set in this creepy ass new England, like, you know, penitentiary yeah. where that looks nothing like prisons today. It just looks like a fucking haunted house. So yeah. Yeah, I think that this adds to adds to that whole thing and that Stephen King vibe. And like, you know, I think Stephen King has also been like, when I think of Stephen King, I don't necessarily think of this movie. I think of like Pennywise and I think of all the, like the crazy murder things. And then like, you know, yeah. how grounded this is, how much more terrifying it is because it's grounded. You know, sure. yeah, we should do more. Stevens. when's the green mile? Is this um, like where is this in the like the timeline of? Because this isn't necessarily a sequel or a prequel. It like if if time was a circle rather than linear, is that fair, Chris? Sure, I guess. Um, I, I had written a thing in there that this takes place after the events of that first movie, right? And the yeah. warden says that you've this has happened to you seven times already. So he's gone through this loop seven times. I don't know how much time has actually passed. In fact, I don't even know what the real world is. Maybe, maybe the maybe part three is another layer that we find, and that's a deeper like consciousness or real world that he's experiencing. I don't know. Um, I just like that idea that you're always trapped and and that like in one sense maybe maybe it's because i watched tenet recently but like in one sense he's always moving towards this redemption and he's gaining hope and he's gaining his humanity back and becoming a person that can exist in a real world again in the real society again and that then in this story it's the exact opposite he starts as that guy and is being dragged down and destroyed to the point that he's no longer that person. 
and then he's just in that cycle forever. So, damn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, switching gears uh, to something yeah. fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's not put the cart before the horse. Okay. Well, something different. Um, yeah, there it is. <laughs> Now for Paul, something completely different. Exactly. Paul, I understand you uh, had written one. You said this was from uh, an idea that you and your buddy had back in college. I I didn't have the idea at all. It was something that, that, that I wasn't a part of, but it was this like kind of, you know, we have epic jokes from our different friend groups from the past. And just a friend had, had pulled one over on another guy and had convinced him that this was a real, a real like, movie being made in, in and it was in post-production in like 2006 or 2007 okay and like to this day i think if you brought up to other buddy he would be like fuck you like he'd be really <laughs> mad about it to this day and uh you know we've all had a lot of time here during the pandemic and i rewatched this movie and i just i couldn't stop thinking about that joke and i was like what what would a sequel what would shawshank condemnation look like and that's what i uh i tried to take a crack at and uh, oh, doing it. that, I wrote two scenes, um, which was, you know, just uh, basically just jokey jokes. So, uh, oh, you yeah. know, thanks for indulging me. Hell yeah. And uh, <laughs> that's what I needed. And I think that's what we all need right now, I, especially that's after totally those two. Just some. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, let it up. Give me a minute. Let me uh, get it pulled up here in the computer. So, um, we're, we're going to keep this going, right? Steve, you're going to uh, reprise the role here as Red. Um, now, um, it, no, for, He's for, red for you to play. What's that? Keep going. <laughs> um, I need you to sing a little bit, Chris. Okay. Um, do you know the, um, the song Endless Love? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I and think so. I, I want and... to share. Okay, yeah. All. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm not doing it right, but you. <laughs> okay, yeah, Chris, were you. you trying to say uh, "Time of My Life"? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Jeez. laughs> what Stephen King movie would that ever be in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This. This does not have a format like um, <laughs> like Stephen King. This definitely looks like a uh, auto work actor just got a day job. All right, let's uh, let's do this. Uh, and I'm going to be reading the stage directions, and I'll be reading uh, Andy's girlfriend. So, are you guys ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Shawshank condemnation. Two wrongs don't make a right. Scene one. On the screen. Supertitle appears. The screen is black and slowly fades to the beautiful beach, and we hear Red's voice saying, The funny thing is, on the outside, Andy was an honest man. He was straight as, a, he was straight as an arrow. Andy had to go to prison to be a crook. I guess I was right, but I don't know how I was right. Oh, how right I was. Red enters his and Andy's four-room shack. The overall feeling of the shack is dingy. There are posters of early 80s musicians 
and movie stars on the walls, including Annie Lennox, Cindy Lauper, and Bo Derek. Red is carrying a brown paper sack with groceries from the corner market. Andy is frantically walking from one of the bedrooms to the living room, throwing clothes into the suitcase. He's singing along with endless love playing on the radio. I'm going to do it the other way. And I... <laughs> I want to share all of my love with you. No one... I don't know that song. No one else will do. Uh, now, Andy, you need to knock uh, this stuff off. You can't go out tonight. Uh, there's just got to be another way. There's, it's just too dangerous. Red, you need to get busy living or get busy dying. Cut that shit out. You won't be doing this if it wasn't for her. You can't honestly say that this is what you dreamed about at Shawshank. This was my own choice. In fact, it's an opportunity, Red. It's a godsend. Hope came to me crying that the boat that they needed for transport fell through. She and her brother would be killed if they couldn't move that 100 kilos of cocaine to San Diego. And Red, I measured. You know how much cocaine fits underneath the deck of a boat? Exactly 100 kilos. Andy then brushes some white pot away from his lips <laughs> and looks at it for a moment, then licks his fingers, then goes back to throwing clothes into his suitcase. Andy, Hope never had another boat lined up for the transport to the U.S. She has been using you the entire time. She's just been eyeing you up since she met you when you lost $5,000 at a poker game last month. That's not true. She's my dream girl. She has the legs of Raquel Welch, the lips of Marilyn Monroe, the hair of Rita Hayworth. And the drug problem of Janis Joplin. Plus, Andy... It will take you over four days to get to San Diego. Do I have to remind you that some birds aren't meant to be caged? Andy crosses back to the other side of the room, turns the radio back on to catch the very end of the song. My endless love. <laughs> end of scene seven. <laughs> scene 23. <laughs> Andy is seated at a desk in a small back room of a pizza joint in La Jolla Cove. Andy has let his hair grow out. It is greasy, messy, and slick back. He's wearing sunglasses and a Miami Vice-style suit with a white jacket and pants and a baby blue t-shirt. On the desk is a Scarface amount of cocaine. <laughs> the scene mm -hmm. opens with Andy holding a phone up to his ear, yelling at the guy in the other end. Andy lowers his head down to the desk and snorts as much cocaine as he can and lets out a Howard Dean style. I am sure you, if that shipment does not arrive to me on time tomorrow, I will drive to your hometown, build a library with my bare hands, name it after you, invite your family inside, teach your children how to read, lock the doors with your children and wife still inside, and burn it to the ground. Andy lures his head back to the desk and snorts as much cocaine as he can. Ooh, I make myself clear. The camera pans to show that Hope was seated to his left again and the uh, against the wall the entire time. She's horrified. Andy, I'm going back to Mexico. Frankly, you're losing your mind, and I can't do this anymore. 
What are you talking about, baby? You can't do that. You can't leave Andy D. Again, Andy lowers his head to the desk and snorts as much cocaine as he can. See what I'm talking about? No one calls you Andy D. And when you start talking in third person, I gotta go. I've been planning this for a while. My sister's driving me to the airport. Andy, take care of yourself. Hope you're a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. Andy starts to do more cocaine, and his nose starts to bleed. He wipes his nose and throws his head back, causing his chair to lean back, throwing his arms in the air in a V formation with his fists up to the sky and yells, Rain! Rain! End of scene. <laughs> oh yeah! I was not expecting Andy to be a cocaine uh, rattled like drug dealer twice tonight. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this isn't the first time something like this has happened on the podcast. <laughs> That's true. Um, <laughs> Not not the whole '80s, you know, cocaine thing, but uh, having similar themes. Um, What what I loved the most was uh, your, I guess, your go-to like uh, mob boss wife voice, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not real Jersey, so I just imagined like uh, you know the typical Jersey girl being (laughs) being in this movie telling Andy. My airport's gonna. My sister's gonna take me and pick me up and to the airport. Yeah, yeah. It was very yeah. much uh, the 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 love interest from Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's in my head. It's it's Marissa Torme from My Cousin Vinny. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's, that's who it is. Yep. Yeah. And was, would this movie come out like uh, after? Like how many how many years after? Like the first one, would you, um, which, I would, did you see it? Would this be modern? No, this is this is definitely like uh, like mid to late eighties, um, which I th- I th- I think is when cocaine was big. Um, oh, I mean, uh, like the release of your movie, like <laughs> like would this still be like when when these actors could still play that age? That's like right after the movie. Oh, um, yeah, we do that really cool shit like uh, that Netflix movie just did with um, uh, uh, Robert De Niro. We just age it backwards, man. There you go. Okay. He, oh, he was like, he, he looked 30 and he was moving like 80. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do. Yeah, oh, we just age God. everybody backwards. That was, I just want to see more scenes of like, cocaine guys like you're really good at writing cocaine guys um like like after this scene uh you know hans gruber comes in and murders this guy because john mcclain doesn't know him uh <laughs> i mean if i would love to see i'd love to see a diehard shawshank crossover <laughs> Where it's just Andy and Bruce Willis together crawling through a vet. <laughs> no, I know how a TV dinner feels. Yeah, whatever. I crawled through a 
pilot through a, a tube of shit. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Shut um, up, John I, see this, <laughs> I see this version ending with, uh, you know how the, um, uh, the, was it the warden who went to jail in the end? Who did he, who did he send to prison? So the warden committed suicide before they could get to him, but the captain of the guard did go. Yeah, I picture uh, the captain of the guard and uh, and Andy in the street, just homeless with a knife fight. I think that's how this movie ends. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh my God! Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, so uh, I've been thinking about you know maybe we should start filming some of these scripts, and I think that's just that moment is I want to see Andy and the prison guard having a knife fight. <laughs> <laughs> Where do where do you see this knife knife fight taking place? Like, what's oh, the setting like, of it? Uh, definitely, like on the streets of uh, of San Diego, they have a they have a um a neighborhood there called the Gaslight District, uh, where uh yeah yeah they just on the streets of San Diego, like as two homeless guys, <laughs> just screaming, "I'm not, you're not better than me." And and in the background, there's a T Rex chasing a all 76 rolling down the street. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The weirdest thing is these old men, these 80-year-old men who are having a knife fight in the middle of the <laughs> happening street in San Diego. <laughs> oh, my God. That was so much fun. Thank you, Paul. What a, what a nice change of pace. Uh, <laughs> We knew this podcast was going yeah. to be. Oh my god, pull us out of here on a high note. That's so funny. Especially <laughs> especially a week after we did friggin' Rocky and Bowinkle. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. Yeah, we just did Rocky and Bowinkle with Dane and um that was god. just all goofs. So I'm so glad that this was like dark goofs. Uh <laughs> a little bit of everything. Yeah. yeah. I hope I know this is a little late, but listeners, uh, when episodes like this happen, just turn off the lights, sit in a chair, drink some whiskey, <laughs> keep drinking whiskey until either the podcast is over or you are asleep. And just remember your endless love mm-hmm. or that you had the time of your life. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> I think they're the same song. <laughs> 80s music tomato tomato exactly as you plan your sandals vacation um well before we get out of here uh do you have anything that you'd like to plug i know it's a weird time there may not be a lot that you're working on but uh, maybe something that you're watching or reading that you uh, would encourage other people to um get involved in anything like that uh i'm uh i'm going back through and watching um i've become a trekkie in the um pandemic and i'm going through and i'm watching uh star trek next generation and i just i feel like uh in these in these days of uh you know be real kind of hopelessness there's nothing that quite gives me hope like everything about patrick stewart I agree. Uh, I I did the same thing earlier in the pandemic. I watched through the whole series and yeah, it's just a hopeful, positive vision of what the future could hold. Yeah. Well, and like I every played. Oh, go on. 
Oh, everything about Patrick Stewart, like every interview, him reading the sonnets. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't watched Picard yet, but he uh, he gives me uh, uh, hope hope for the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was he was hopeful in like three out of the four of those movies. Uh, <laughs> um. <laughs> Now, uh, now every time I think of Charles Xavier, I just imagine that uh, him zipping in and out of frozen people at an airport. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I played I played Breath of the Wild at the beginning of this quarantine and imagined it narrated by Patrick Stewart as I was playing. There you go. <laughs> so we all got that Patrick Stewart love. I love it. Um, Paul, do you have uh, a social media that people can follow you at? If not, no big deal. Uh, you don't have to share um, if you don't want to. You can, my name is Paul Whitehouse. You can friend me on Facebook. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, let's, uh, let's keep talking about Patrick Stewart. Actually, you know what? I can't. I, uh, I have to run because uh, my, my punk band... And I, we ran out of gas uh, out in the middle of nowhere. And as we were, um, we got to this gig. Uh, but before we could like, get paid and get out of there, uh, somebody got murdered. And it turns out that these guys are all a bunch of neo Nazis led by Patrick Stewart. And we need to fight our way out before Patrick Stewart has his neo Nazi goons kill us. Wow. I hope you get out of there. I hope you're not too green. Uh, <laughs> at this rube. Uh, <laughs> but sorry, but I got to run. Uh, so Caster Troy, had, we, had, we had swapped faces. <laughs> he took my body and I ended up in a max, maximum security prison looking oh. like him. And uh, I'm wearing these boots, and these boots are the, by the way, the same exact boots that were used in the movie Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> and they're holding me down to this floor as I have to fight this seven-foot-tall dude. Oh, man, that's going to be quite the showdown. Uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, I, I got to go, too. Uh, life has been uh, really hopeless recently. Um, but I just uh, followed a white rabbit and, and then I got arrested and this dude named Morpheus is asked me to take a, a red or, or blue pill so I gotta figure out which one to take. Oh.